It's an honor to be here again. Um, I'm happy to be able to meet new faces and faces that I recognize. And uh, today, we're in for quite a treat. We are going to do things a little bit different. I'd like to share a message in a format of a story. Many of you have probably read or heard this story. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Boyd Munger. He was a Presbyterian minister who wrote this timeless work, this story, in 1956, about 70 years ago. And it's been a real impact in my life, and uh, also I've been able to share it as a, as a great tool for, for counseling sometimes. This story was vividly compelling then, and it is still impacting people even today. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we just thank you for this beautiful morning. I thank you for every person that's here tonight, this morning, I'm sorry, and I ask you that uh, you would prepare their hearts and their minds to receive uh, this message. And Lord, as the Spirit uh, enters them and uh, specifically touches those areas of their hearts in a unique way with this story, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm also going to be reading some scripture uh, that is applicable to this story. So the first scripture I want to read is from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with his power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to, be com to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be feel, filled with all fullness of God. Well, I'll start the story. One evening, as I invited Jesus Christ into my heart, what an entrance he made. It was not spectacular or emotional, but very real. It was the very center of my life. At the very center of my life, he came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire in the cold heart and banished all the chills. He started music where there had been stillness. And he filled the emptiness with his own loving and wonderful fellowship. I have never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. In the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus Christ, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you, he said. Let me show you around. So this is where this person shows Christ around in his heart. The first room was the study room, the library. In my home, this room of the mine is very small, very small room with very thick walls. But it is a very important room, too. In a sense, it's the control room of the house. 
He entered with me and looked around at the, book, the books and the bookcase, the magazines upon the table, and the pictures on the walls. And as I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable. Strangely, I had not felt so self-conscious about this before. But now that he was there looking at these things, I was embarrassed. Some books were there that his eyes were too pure to behold. On the table were a few magazines that a Christian had no business reading. As for the pictures on the walls, the imaginations and the thoughts of the mind, some of these were very shameful. Red-faced, I turned to him and said, Master, I know that this room needs to be cleaned up and made over. Will you help me make it what it ought to be? This is a struggle that we all have sometimes. We get so accustomed to our own home, the areas of our hearts, and sometimes we just bring things into our life through reading, through sight, through hearing, and we forget how distant this causes us to, to be with Christ. But Jesus said, certainly, I'm glad to help you. First of all, take all the things that, are, that you are reading and looking at which are not helpful. They're not pure, they're not good, they're not true, and throw them out. Now put on the empty shelves the books of the Bible, fill the library with scripture and meditate it day and night. As for the pictures of the walls, you will have difficulty controlling these images. But I have something that will help you. Hang this centrally, he said, on the wall of your mind. Doesn't it really say what it is, but I'm assuming it's a picture of Christ. I did, he said, and I have discovered through years that when my thoughts are centered upon Christ himself, his purity and power causes impure thoughts to go and back away. So he has helped me bring my thoughts under his control. Philippians 4.8 tells us, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worth, worthy of praise, think about these things. So it's almost like a recipe that God's word tells us. Hey, what are you thinking of? What do you have in your mind in that room, in that library, that study room? What are you focusing on? Because I'm showing you what to focus on. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Folks, I know this isn't easy. We go to the dining room. From the study, we went into the dining room, the room of appetites and desires. I spent a lot of time and hard work here trying to satisfy my wants. I said to him, this is my favorite room. I'm quite sure you will be pleased with what we serve. So Jesus seated himself at the table with me and asked, 
What is on the menu for dinner? Well, I said, my favorite dishes. Money, academic degrees, stocks, newspaper articles, fame and fortune, and side dishes. These were the things I liked, secular fare. When the food was placed before him, I said nothing. But I noticed that he did not eat it. I said to him, Master, don't you care for this food? What's the trouble? Jesus answered, I have food to eat that you do not know of. If you want food that really satisfies you, do the will of the Father. Stop seeking your own pleasures and desires and satisfaction. Seek to please him. That food will satisfy you. So there at the table, he gave me a taste of the joy of doing God's will. What a flavor. There's no food like it in all the world. It alone satisfies. In John 4, 34 says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Folks, we have work to do. We really do. And before you ask, what's wrong with money and academic degrees and stocks, and newspaper and articles? Nothing really. However, Jesus tells us that for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Is there, it's where these things are in your heart. These earthly things, are they more important than your devotion and relationship with Christ. Because if that's what you feed, if that's what you get your satisfaction from, then there is something wrong. Philippians 3.19 also says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory in their shame. With mindset, with mindset on earthly things, our mindset is so easily to focus from one thing to another, isn't it? We could be walking with the Lord, all of a sudden there's a distraction, there's something else that just totally changes our mindset. In Romans 13, 4, 14, says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Yeah, it's one of the things that I love about Paul in the New Testament, he's always saying, put off and put on. Put off and put on. And we can't have both at the same time. And we can't put on until we first put off. And again, it's telling us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and to make no provision for flesh, for the flesh. Then we get into the living room. In John 15, 19, I'm sorry, 15, 9 through 11 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You see that intertwining, that connection between the Father and his Son. But it also includes us too. These things I have spoken to you that you my that my joy 
may be in you and that your joy may be full. Folks, there's so much joy in abiding in Christ. Our joy will be full when we spend time with Christ. No other thing will give us the joy of spending time with Christ. So from the dining room, we walked into the living room. This room was intimate and comfortable. I like it. It had a fireplace, overstuffed chairs, a sofa, and a quiet atmosphere. And he said, Jesus said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet, and we can have fellowship together. That sounds great, doesn't it? Well, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I would rather do than to have a few minutes with Christ in close companionship. He promised, I will be here every I will be here early every morning. Meet me here and we will start the day together. You know, James 4.8 tells us, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. But I love how it says that as we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. It's a double effort here. It's not just us going to him. He wants to draw near to us too. His word tells us that he will draw near to us when we draw near to him. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the living room. He would take a book of the Bible from the case. We would open it and read together. He would unfold to me the wonders of God's saving truth. My heart sang as he shared the love and the grace he had towards me. These were wonderful times. Now, I want to see if you can relate to this, this part. Because he says, however, little by little, under pressure of many responsibilities, this time began to be shortened. Why? I'm not sure. I thought, it was too busy to, I thought I was too busy to spend regular time with Christ. This was not intentional, you understand? It was, it was just something that happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss days now and then. Urgent matters would crowd out the quiet times of conversation with Jesus. We're all guilty of that one way or another. And sometimes I have to admit that even what I'm too busy on or doing is related to ministry. It's related to God's work. But I started to even replace my time with Christ by doing God's work, which is kind of ironic. But we go back. We go back to him. I remember one morning rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way. I passed the living room and noticed that the door was open. Looking in, I saw a fire in the fireplace, and Jesus was sitting there. Suddenly, in my dismay, I thought for myself, he is my guest. I invited him into my heart. He has come as my savior and friend, and yet I'm neglecting him. Ouch. That really hurts. 
I stopped, turned, and hesitantly went in to the living room. And with downcast glance, I said, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? And Jesus said, yes. I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. Remember, I love you. I have redeemed you at a great cost. I value your fellowship. Listen to this. Even if you cannot keep the quiet time for your own sake, do it for mine. You know, that really hit me when I read that because I always had this misconstrued thought that when I am looking and spending time with God, that it's all about me and all about me only. But God looks forward to spending time with us too. He wants to spend time with us. He loves us and redeemed us at a great cost. He loves us and he values our fellowship. Sometimes because of the way we feel, maybe even feelings of unworthiness, we feel like, why would God want to spend time with me? He's too busy. He's doing all these things. But he does. One-on-one wants to spend time with you. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you. Does that sound like a God that's too busy? Absolutely not. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Jeremiah 29 12, 14 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. My gosh, think about this. This is the king of the universe, the creator. He will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So he continues and he says, The truth that Christ desires my companionship, that he wants me to be with him and waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone in the living room of your heart. But every day, find time when with your Bible and in prayer, you may be together with him. Folks, this is so important, and it's so easy. I always use the, uh, the example of trying to go up an escalator a down escalator. If you go really fast, you can, might make it, but as soon as you stop, what happens? It just takes you right down again. And as a believer in Christ, we will never be satisfied at a certain point where I said, I have achieved my walk with Christ. I have achieved, I no longer need to seek him. Because if you think that, it, you're going down that elevator again. It's a constant race, like Peter says it is. So now we go to the workroom. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, God, for good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wow. We need to walk in these things. 
and we are his workmanship. So before long, he asked, do you have a workroom in your home? Out in the garage of the home of my heart, I had a workbench and some equipment, but I was not doing much with it. Once in a while, I would play around with a few little gadgets, but I wasn't producing anything substantial. I let him out there. He looked over the workbench and said, well, this is quite well furnished. What are you producing with your life for the kingdom of God? He looked at one or two little toys that I had thrown together on the bench and held one up. Is this the sort of thing you're doing for others in your Christian life? Well, I said, Lord, I know it isn't much, and I really want to do more, but after all, I don't seem to have the strength or the skill to do more. Would you like to do better, Jesus asked. Certainly, I replied. All right, let me have your hands. Now relax in me and let my spirit work through you. I know that you're unskilled, clumsy, and awkward, but the Holy Spirit is the master workman. And if he controls your hands and your heart, he will look through you. I'm sorry, he will work through you, stepping around behind me and putting his great strong hands under mine. He held the tools in his skilled fingers and began to work through me. The more I relaxed and trusted him, the more he was able to do with my life. There's a lot in here, but what I like about it is that it tells us that the life of a Christian person is not about you and your efforts and your wills and your knowledge as much as the fact that he works through us and we allow him to work through us. When we try to do this by ourselves, it's very difficult. And it might look genuine, but if the Holy Spirit isn't working through us, the master workman, the one that should control our hands and our heart, then our work is in vain. And sometimes that's what's hold us back from being in our workroom because we feel like, well, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good, I, I can't share the gospel. I can't do this. And we're full of I can'ts and the, and the Holy Spirit's saying, let me just do it through you. Let me even do it through you with your personality and your character that I created you to be. You may not have to be a Billy Graham or someone like that, but I can still work through you. But the more I relaxed and trusted him, the more he was able to do it in my life. We need to trust him. We need to relax in him. And that's not easy to do. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. No matter what you do for the Lord, your labor is not in vain. That is such a beautiful promise. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. This takes us to the rec room. <clears throat> he asked me if I had a rec room where I went for fun and fellowship. I was hoping he would not ask me about that. There were certain associations and activities that I wanted to keep for myself. 
One evening when I was on my way out with some of my buddies, he stopped me and glanced, with a glance and asked, are you going out? I replied, yes. Good, Jesus said, I'd like to go with you. Oh, I answered rather awkwardly, uh, I, I, I don't think so, Lord Jesus. Um, that would really, uh, that, that you would really enjoy where we're going. Uh, I know what, let's go out together tomorrow. Tomorrow night, we'll go to a Bible study at church. But tonight, I have another appointment. Jesus said, I'm so sorry, he said. I thought that when I came into your home, we were going to do everything together, to be close companions. I just want you to know that I am willing to go with you. Well, I kind of mumbled and slipped out the door uh, and said, we'll, we'll go someplace together tomorrow. Then I left. And that evening, I spent some miserable hours. I felt rotten. What kind of friend was I to Jesus? Deliberately leaving him out of my life, doing things and going places that I knew very well he would not enjoy. You know, that's another thing we can relate to. It may not be someplace we go, but sometimes what we read, what we watch, we close the door or we exclude him from it, thinking that this is my time for myself to feed my flesh, to entertain myself, and Jesus doesn't need to be part of this. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Folks, we are the temple of the living God. But, before you think that I'm telling you to isolate yourself and not do anything in this world, I always like the saying, insulate, but not isolate. And that's what Christ did. That's what some of the disciples did too. They gathered themselves around tax collectors and prostitutes and Pharisees and, and many people who were not really good people, but they didn't let them impact them. They insulated themselves from those things, but not isolated themselves from those people because they needed the gospel too. So when I returned that evening, there was a light in his room, and I went up to talk it over with him. I said, Lord, I have learned my lesson. I know now that I can't have a good time without you. From now on, we will do everything together. There's a good teaching there, because sometimes we do take some of the things that we did in our past and bring them into our Christian walk. But I don't know about you, if I try to do that, I have this really uneasy, convicting feeling of the Holy Spirit, where it's like he's saying, okay, you really shouldn't be doing that, but guess what? You're not going to enjoy it like you used to when you were unsaved, because the Spirit is in there, and it's kind of gnawing at you. It's kind of telling you, you are a new creation in Christ. 
you are a person that shouldn't be doing that and you're not even enjoying it like you used to when you didn't know me. Then we went down into the rec room of the house. He transformed it. He brought, it, he brought in new friends, new excitement, new joys, laughter and music and have been ringing through the house with music ever since. Now, I remember losing a lot of friends when I gave my life to Christ. And um, I was worried because I was like, hey, these guys are friends that I've had ever since I was in high school or even younger. And it's not that I purposely lost them. They themselves just kind of detached from me. And I didn't compromise with some of the things they still wanted me to do. And I still reach out to them so they can know the Lord. But he also brought me some new friends and some new brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is such a joy to have that. We get to the hall closet. We read from Luke 8, 17. It says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Matthew 10, 26 says it very similar. It says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. So one day I found him waiting for me at the door. An arresting look was in his eyes. As I entered, he said to me, uh, There is a peculiar odor in the house. Something must be dead around here. It's upstairs. I think it's in that hall closet. And as soon as I, as soon as he said this, I knew that he was talk, what he was talking about. There was a small closet up there in the hall landing, just a few feet square. In that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anyone to know about. Certainly, I did not want Christ to see them. I knew they were dead and rotting things left over from my old life. I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit that they were there. Reluctantly, I went up with him, and as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed to the door, I was angry that the only way, that's the only way I can put it, I was angry. I had given him access to the library, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, the rec room, and now he was asking me about this little two-by-four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. I'm not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here in the second floor with this smell, you're mistaken. I will go out on the porch. Then I saw him start starting down the stairs. Folks, Christian life isn't something that just happens overnight. There are things in our lives, just like that closet that we hold on to, that we still want. It's, it's our pet. We want to keep it. 
but yet it's a stench. It's an odor, and Christ knows those things. And he doesn't want to expose them just to make us feel bad. He wants to expose these things so he can clean them, so he can show us that we no longer have to live with these things. We always want to hide it. We always want to protect it. If someone would know, they would think differently of me. They won't like me anymore. Christ wants to expose it so you can be more Christ-like. You know, when one comes to know the Lord, the love of Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his fellowship. I had to give in, he said. I'll give you the key, I said sadly. But you will have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. Just give me the key, he said. Authorize me to take care of that closet, and I will. With trembling fingers, I passed the key to him. He took it, walked over the door, opened it, entered, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting there, and he threw it away. Then he cleaned the closet and painted it. It was done in moments' time. Oh, what a victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. Hmm. What a victory and relief to have that dead thing out of my life. Folks, if we're struggling with that, we need to give them the key to that closet or closets. And it's not for him to just condemn us. It's for him to work and clean these things in our lives. We can't do it by ourselves. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Transforming the title. A thought came to me, Lord, is there any chance that you would take over the management of the whole house and operate it for me as you did with that closet? Would you take the responsibility to keep my life what it ought to be? Jesus' face lit up and he replied, I'd love to. That is what I want to do. You cannot be victorious Christian in your own strength. Let me do it through you and for you. That is the way. But, he added slowly, I am just a guest. I have no authority to proceed since the property is not mine. Dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you have been a guest and have been the host. From now on, I'm going to be the servant. You are going to be the owner and master of my heart. So running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took out the title deed to the house describing its assets and its liability, local and situation. I eagerly signed the house over to him alone to him, time and eternity. Here, I said, here it is, all that I am and have forever. Now you run the house. I'll just remain with you as a servant and friend. Things are different since Jesus Christ has settled down and has made his home in my heart. 
And that's the end of the story. But it really does speak to us. Because many of us have Christ in our heart as a guest, as someone, uh, I don't know, like a side item of fries instead of the burger. You can tell I'm hungry. And we need to make him the king, the master of our heart. And we feel that it's difficult. And it is if you're trying to do it by yourself. But if you release and give him the keys, he will come in and through the Holy Spirit, he will work in each of those rooms of our hearts. But it's so important, folks, because without that, we will be in a struggle. And with it, we'll still be in a struggle, but he's the one helping us and working through us. And we can bring glory to him in our walk with Christ. And this applies to everyone, from the old to the young. What do we have in our rooms of our hearts? Are there rooms that we still have locked with a key that we don't want Christ to be part of? And if there is, guess what? Welcome to humanity. But God wants to work in those things. God wants to work because he's a God of detail and he works from the inside out. And there's no shame in opening, the, opening those doors. And if it's someone that you need to talk to, do that. But, to, but right now, I just, I just want to ask you, Is God the master of your heart? Is God the one working in your heart to bring him glory and draw you closer to him? Are there things that you're holding on to? And I want to pray at this moment. Uh, and I would like you to just bow your heads and we're going to come to the Lord and, this, and just pray this. Pray to get, uh, let's pray this together in your in your in your own walk with Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have come into our hearts. And I thank you that you are looking forward to making changes. But Lord, I know that sometimes I hold back. I don't give you the, the authority to do that. Sometimes I'm too embarrassed of these things that I've been holding on to or things that I still think please me or I can't live without. But I need you, Lord, to show me that I could give them to you and that I can trust in you. So, Father, I pray for everyone here this morning, Lord, that they would spend some time with you today looking at every room of their heart and inviting you to every room. And if there's anything in there that doesn't please you, that is not pure, that they would be able to give it to you, Lord, and that you would be able to clean that area of their heart. I thank you that you love us. I thank you that you want to spend time with us, that it's not just us, but that you look forward to spending time with us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.